Truman, Arkansas, which is just a few miles up the road. I've been there 20 years, uh, in spite of their better judgment. <laughs> I've hung around, and uh, I uh, serve currently as our district Sunday school director, and I've uh, been doing that for nine years. I've been in district leadership now for close to 16 years. In some capacity or another, I've been involved in leadership uh, ever since I've been in Truman. And so, thankful for that. I appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Um, I don't really know how to make it any more flowery than that. We call him the voice. Can you figure out why? Yes. I'm definitely not the voice, but uh, I'm uh, Brother Rick Etheridge. I pastor in Paragool of Greater Vision Ministries. And uh, I guess a little background, like Brother Parker spent, I'm a military man, spent 22 years. I guess Brother Parker, he goes to a lot of leadership courses, and, and I don't know if that prepared me for ministry because I've been challenged so many times. <laughs> but uh, it's an honor to be here today, Brother Nicole. Amen. Brother Flowers. I'm Philip Flowers. Uh, I pastor in Marion, Arkansas. And uh, my dad was a missionary, so I was a missionary kid to Madagascar and Malawi. And then after that, I sat under Brother Terry Black for 18 years or so. And then the Lord called us to start the church in Marion. So that's kind of the short story. And I just had a third son on Monday. So. <laughs> Amen. My administrative pastor told me I should ask everyone to sit on this side for this session because we're kind of, uh, you don't have to do that, but my administrative pastor said it would be a real good suggestion, so I'm suggesting it. Hey, man, I'm thankful for my wife. So we have a variety of questions. Now I will tell you, these gentlemen, I've tried to tailor the question to the, the men I'm asking the question of. And I'm giving them a quite a bit of leeway for answers. I'm going to ask a question to each participant. They'll take a few minutes and answer the question. And then we're just going to kind of discuss it in the group. And uh, then we'll move on. I'm, I'm trying to get 10, 15 minutes of question out of this. And we'll just see how far we go. Uh, most of the time in panel discussions, we don't get it all done. Preachers like to talk. So we'll start with the first question addressed to Brother Murray Ray. There is a very high-profile public side to leadership which is often what we focus on as leaders. Our private lives, however, have a dramatic impact on how we lead. Given that what Brother Parker talked about a few minutes ago, prayer and fasting are essential elements of a leader's personal life, what are some other things that you do out of the public eye that make you a better leader? How do you establish, on, on top of that, how do you establish margins between your personal life and your private life? I'll, uh, I'll try to answer this the best I, that I can. Um, let me just start by saying that I don't think that leadership is a right. I think that it's a privilege. Amen. And uh, it occurred to me a number of years ago that nobody has to put enough trust in me to follow me. They don't have to. But if they do, then I need to understand, and we all need to understand what a privilege that really is, especially in this generation that we're living in where so many leaders have failed and so many people feel betrayed by those they put their trust and confidence in. So I want to make sure that I never take it for granted, that you never take it for granted that God's allowed you to serve in a leadership role to whatever level or whatever degree that is. 
Amen. Uh, that you serve. And uh, I remember many years ago when I went to my pastor and told him I was feeling a call of God on my life, and he asked me what I thought it was. Well, I was too, um, uh, I wasn't bold enough to say that I felt it was a call to preach. I just told him, I said, I, I don't know if it's to sweep the church out. I don't know if it's to mow the grass. I, I just feel a call on my life. And he finally pressed me into an answer. It doesn't really matter what you're doing. Somebody's going to follow in your footsteps at every level. And I don't ever want to take that for granted that I'm teaching somebody the right way and how it should be done. And I don't ever want to abuse my position as a leader. Remember that, uh, and don't take this the wrong way, but leaders are a dime a dozen. Yeah. People have a multiplicity of options when it comes to who they let speak into their lives. The Bible specifically says that there are, it may be many voices and none of them is insignificant. And so people have a lot of voices clamoring for their attention, and every one of them has some viable message that they're speaking into that person's life. And so um, I, if we're going to be leaders, I, I think if you look at the world scene today, you sure don't want to be a dictator because much of the turmoil in the world today is the result of dictatorships, not genuine leadership. Genuine leadership is what caused our nation to become a great nation. Genuine leadership is what causes our, our military to be a great, the greatest military on earth, not a dictatorship. And so I want to make sure as a leader that I'm, not, that I'm not a dictator, that I'm not a my way or the highway kind of a person, even though I have to take some strong stands at times and you have to take some strong stands at times. I don't, I don't want to abuse the trust that somebody has placed in me. Amen. Um, and so when I say that leaders are a dime a dozen, it, it doesn't mean that we're cheap. It just means that there's a multiplicity of yes. people that others can go to and hear from and listen to, and they all have something to offer them. Even if it's the wrong message, they have something that appeals to that person. So uh, remember this, that a God-ordained leader is a man or a woman among few. Yeah. And if I'm going to be a leader, then I want to make sure that, that God has ordained that. But to get to the question specifically, uh, I don't think that we will ever lead publicly more effectively than we lead privately. That's good. That your private world matters. Yes. I know you hear that a lot with everything, but pay close attention to what you are when nobody's around. Mm -hmm. yeah. When you're by yourself, how do you lead yourself? Um, what do you allow or what do you neglect in your own personal life and your private world? What do you embrace or what do you reject? Um, I believe it's uh, Gordon McDonald that has a book entitled Ordering Your Private World. It's a good book. Uh, very good book. Yes. And he talks about, I believe it's in that book, he, he tells the parable of the persona, which is a ship. And um, if I'm not overlapping that into another book, but he tells the story about the persona and talks about this vessel being launched out into the waters, it's beautiful, yep. it's gorgeous, everybody applauds it, but when it gets out there in the rough waters, it sinks because nobody paid attention to the keel. Yeah. And the keel is that weight that's beneath the surface, that, that part that nobody sees, the part that the barnacles are going to attach itself to, the part that doesn't get any glory or fanfare, don't spend a lot of money on the paint job, it's, it's not the flashy side of the ship, it's just the under the surface 
wave, but that's what writes it in a storm. Amen. And so I think it's important for us to pay attention to those parts of our lives that nobody sees. What do you embrace? What do you, what do you, what do you reject in your private life? Um, I, I'll say this, that I make it a principle that I never ask of anyone anything that I'm not willing to do myself. Uh, I'm not a roofer. I don't know how to roof. I know enough about it to know how not to do it and to know that I'm not the guy to do it. But if it comes to it, if it comes to it, then I'm willing to get up on the roof with the guys at my church or whatever, and I'm willing to do that. Years ago, I read an illustration about General George Patton, and they said that he had a unique uh, way of teaching the difference between leading from the front and leading from behind. He would gather his generals around or his leaders around the table. He would take a piece of string and throw it on the table and ask them to push that string to an objective. And so, of course, they would push the string, it would just bunch up and wad up, and it would just be a jumbled mess by the time they got it to the objective. And then he would say to them, now take your finger and put it at one end of the string and pull it so that the rest of the string lines up. And invariably, every time, it would line up in a straight line, and it would go straight to the objective. And he taught them the lesson about being a true leader, that if you're going to lead effectively, then you have to lead from the front. And if you'll be out ahead of them, those men will follow you wherever you go. And so I don't think that, um, in referring back to, and tell me when I You're get good. my time. You right. just go. Because uh, I don't want to be that preacher that takes all the oxygen out of the room. No. no. But um, my, my construction, my, my background is not corporate, it's construction. And uh, you learn a lot working in a refinery in southeast Texas. Uh, they had these guys on our jobs. They were called foremans. And the foreman was over the crew. I would always hear these men refer to it as I'm pushing a crew. I'm pushing a crew. But the actual word foreman comes from the word, the, the root word there, for, means uh, to lead. It means to be out in the front. And so the guys that were best to work for were not the guys that were pushing us, saying you get down in that hole and you dig that oil and junk up out of there or you climb that ladder you do this. But the guys that were the best to work for were the ones that were really understood what foreman meant. And they were leading us by being the first one up the ladder or the first one down into the hole. Those are the guys that I wanted to work for. Um, so I, I, I know it doesn't apply to necessarily your private life, but just make sure that whatever you ask somebody to do, that you're willing to do it as well, even if you don't understand what it means uh, or, or understand how to do it. Uh, as far as the margins, mastering, I think you have to master the margins. Um, Margins are lines that create barriers. Every football field has a margin. It has an out-of-bounds line. Every baseball field has a foul line. Every game that we play to some degree has a margin. When you're typing on a computer or a piece of paper, the margin keeps the words from running off the page. So the margin just creates fairness. It creates equality. It creates a sense of balance, and uh, they keep everybody on the same playing field even ourselves. And so um, but the one thing that I like about margins mostly is that they create consistency. Yeah. If you have margins in your life, they will clearly define your expectations of yourself and of others, and everybody else will know what's expected of them. I think it was William Shakespeare who gets the credit for saying the phrase, consistency, thou art a jewel. Yeah. And uh, whether it was... 
original with him or not is open for debate, but I strive, and I think we ought to strive for consistency in every area of our life. Um, I decided a long time ago I'm a Christian first. Yes. First and foremost a Christian. Yes. Uh, at least I want to be. And uh, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and I'm a friend. All of those things fall behind that. But each area of my life holds a different responsibility. And yet they all require the same amount of consistency and effort from me. I can't give more time to my ministry than I do my marriage and my family. Yeah. I know that uh, the demands often overlap one another. And there have been times whenever we were getting ready to go on a trip and phone call came and we had to put our trip off for a day or two. Um, that happens. And sometimes the, they overlap. But the dedication to each has to be consistent. You have to be there when your family needs you. And you have to be there when your church needs you. And if you've created consistency throughout the course of your tenure or your leadership time and leadership uh, then your family's going to understand that and your church is going to understand that. Yeah. So pay attention to the margins. Know when you're giving less to what matters most at the moment and then focus on giving it more. You can fool the crowd, but you can't fool your kids. And what a tragedy it would be to manage a ministry and make a mess of your marriage. Amen. And that's happened. Some of the greatest preachers I've ever known have had powerful ministries and horrible marriages. Yeah. And it was evidenced by a fall in their life morally. And so it's impossible, um, it's impossible to, to just maintain one thing, I know, but to learn how to, if you have those margins set, to learn how to stay between those lines, then it balances everything out and it puts it in its right perspective. Um, you can be faithful but not have any friends. I know people that that um, are faithful to their church. They won't leave it. They won't go anywhere. They won't. They, they're just and, and they isolate themselves. And isolation is a killer when you're in leadership. Because trust me, you're going to need somebody's iron sharpeneth iron. So a man, the countenance of his friend. Yes. And we have brothers that are born for adversity in our lives, and we That's need each other. And so one of the margins that I've created in my life is that I make sure that I have close friends that from time to time will call me away from the stresses of what I'm doing. I don't want to be so wrapped up in just my ministry that I forget that I have that I need somebody mentioned it already, we need each other. We yeah. need that time away. We need that, yeah. that counsel of friends. So um, I, I want to be faithful, but I also want to have those friends in my life. I want consistency because it keeps the people that love me, yeah. the people that know me, having to look the other way or make excuses for me. I, I want consistency because it's probably the greatest virtue or characteristic that you can have as a leader. People don't see you in the sense of, well, he, he, he makes one decision here and another decision there, but they see that thread of consistency. Yeah. So you can fill your library with all kind of leadership books, and I have several, and I'd even recommend a couple to you here if I have a chance later. But uh, nothing will benefit your life more or bless your life more than striving for consistency in everything you do. For those of you that know me know that I love to play golf. And I'm not a great golfer, but I strive to be a consistent golfer. Yeah. Because
because consistency at the end of the day makes the difference. And if I can do that in golf or whatever else I'm doing, I certainly don't want to give any less to God. That's true. Amen. So, um, order my private world, those margins, I just try to strive for that consistency. And only you can define those margins. I can't define them for you. You have to set that pattern. Amen. That's good. Very good. Brother Etheridge, you got anything you'd add to that? Yeah, I'd like to add just a little bit. I thought you did an excellent job. But something that I've learned, and I think I've learned it through trial and error, is that uh, when, when I have to come up to a decision whether I'm going to pick church or family, I just stop and I say, in 10 years, what's going to matter the most to me? Tell it. And so far, every time I've done that, it's family. And yeah. What Sister Parker did a while ago, I think every woman, uh, you know, that's married to a pastor or preacher uh, needs to hear what she said because she supports Brother Parker. Now, he didn't say this, but when, when Mama's happy, everybody's happy. Amen. When Mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. <laughs> now, I did something that uh, I, I debated about, uh, but I, I built a church, uh, and then I put a house right beside it that I live in. And I thought, man, they're going to be knocking at my door. They're going to be coming over, you know, and I ain't going to get any rest. But I've, I've talked behind the pulpit that we need family relationship and that me and my wife, our time is private time. Right. And uh, I'll sit around, I'll do this real quick, I'll sit around a lunch table with a bunch of pastors and we can't even talk because cell phones are going off because they're always on the phone. Yeah. Yep. And it's a rare thing for my phone to ever go off because the church has been taught you know, that uh, Pastor Edwards needs his private time. If there's a need, yeah. you know, they can call me, but it's not going to be, hey, you know, what, what's the weather like today? Should I go? Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's part of the balance that you've got to have, amen, in ministry. And, and, uh, and something else that I do, and the church knows this, uh, that uh, I'm continually uplifting my wife from behind that pulpit to know that there is a balance in my family. And I think that makes a big difference between public and private. Amen. Leadership. Amen. Very good. Brother Flowers? Learn how to say no. <laughs> I was uh, bivocational and living 45 minutes from the church just because of how we had to start. And um, along came a job for the school system that was paying quite literally $100 an hour. And I just didn't have time. And you know what? God took care of it. Yeah. So... You just have to, sometimes you have to say no to amazingly wonderful things. And sometimes it's just the Lord trying to get you to say no so that, you know, your wife knows that she matters and your kids know they matter and the church knows it matters and everybody knows that they matter. And that's the one thing I had to grow in, not the one thing, that is one thing I had to grow in. It's just turning away amazing things for something even better. Amen. Giving up good for better. Uh, brother, I will give time at the end for closing remarks and book suggestions. Uh, the book that you mentioned by Brother McDon or Gordon McDonald, not Brother, uh, about the ship, I think is called The Life God Blesses. It's a prequel to the Ordering Your Private Life, both of which I highly recommend. Have them in my office. You can look at them. Great books. So I'm going to ask another question, Brother Philip Flowers. In the business world, and we, we, are, we know we're not businessmen, but we tend to model our leadership in some ways. 
And in the business world, leaders can measure their success in quantifiable ways, like production, sales. But in church leadership, where the end goal is disciple-making, we learned this morning that Sister Parker is still working on making disciples. It's much harder to quantify what success looks like. So the question is, what are some of the ways that you measure your success as a leader? How do you develop long-term and short-term goals as a leader based on the way that you measure yourself as a leader? Well, I'm still working on this one, but uh, one I can tell you what you don't do, and that is uh, you don't. I don't set numerical goals for anything, honestly. Uh, I haven't set goals. We want to have 35 people get the Holy Ghost and 35 people get baptized and average 75 and 10. I don't do that because I can't control those things. I don't. If your input cannot control the outcome, then why would you try to measure an outcome that you cannot control with your input? So what can I control? Well, ultimately, there's one goal, and we all have it's the same one, and that's the here, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So that really is my long-term goal. Uh, so everything that I do filters through that lens. Is this going to be pleasing to God? My goal with that understanding is in Marion is my job is to advance his kingdom. I used to, when I started, I thought it was to build a church in Marion, and that is part of it, but it's to advance his kingdom. And if that means that I send somebody down the road, which I have, to win a soul, that's advancing his kingdom. Yeah. And if that means I get the opportunity to minister to a, to a preacher that is in our community, and there's already one that we're getting closer to, and I can win them, that's advancing his kingdom. And so we had an African-American lady come. She was a pastor's wife. I'm not sure what origin they were from, but she came to me and said, the Lord said you had a word for me today. And I looked, I looked at her with a blank stare because I had no word for her <laughs> immediately. But the, because the goal was to advance his kingdom, the long story short, my wife got to talking to her. And I said, you talk to my wife about 1 Corinthians 11 hair. And long story short, she got the revelation of uncut hair. She's already baptized in Jesus' name and has the Holy Ghost. Thank Why does Jesus. that matter? Well, we're advancing his kingdom. Yeah. So, what am I, right now, because we're a startup church and we're, we're small, uh, my goal is to sow seed first. I need to, I am in the community sowing seed. Um, so, with that, I'm trying to break into that community. Uh, Marion is part of Memphis Metro but we're on the outskirts, and so we still have a lot of small-town aspects to us, including they're not real open to newbies. Outsiders are not just welcomed in immediately. You've got to work your way in. So I'm trying to build relationships that point people towards Calvary. I don't want to be the pastor that retires 25 years from now, or whatever it will be, and they say, that was a really good man. He built a really good church. If, if, if I have to cross them to preach the gospel, 
that's what I'm going to have to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not there to be nice and let them go to hell. Yeah. I'm there. The, Jesus said that there was, or Jesus or Paul, I don't remember who, but the cross had an offense to it, to many. Yeah. Because there were going to be people that were confronted by it and turn it down. Yeah. But it's my job as nicely as possible. Don't I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to be in their face and, and, and but I'm as nicely as possible. I'm going to bring them to that point to where they know the truth. I, I must do that. If I don't do that, I might as well resign and let somebody else take the church that is there and move on because I'm not doing what he asked me to do. So I'm busy sowing seed. What that looks like practically for me um, is we're entering a phase. And I don't want to give you all the details because it's just—it's not really applicable to the question. We're just now really getting set up in marriage. We, we had to move. We had to get everything established right. We're there now. House is there. Family's there. Everything's there. I'm there. And so now it teaches many Bible studies as I can teach. I try my best to never be silent when I'm at a gas pump. I'm talking to somebody across the gas pump from me. I'm talk, I've got a Walmart guy who, when I go to the Walmart neighborhood market, he follows me around and talks to me the whole time because we built a relationship. My next step, ask him for a Bible study. I've gotten two Bible studies. There was one young man who went to camp two years ago. I got a Bible study from him finally. We start Monday. I've got another one with a guy with a marriage that's struggling. Why do you think that marriage is struggling? Because they need the Lord. But all these things have one answer. They need Jesus. Amen. And so when you get trouble, people coming across you, that's good. That's not bad because they need Jesus. That's right. right. So my goal right now, I can't control 25 people getting the Holy Ghost, but I can control 10 Bible studies being taught. I can work towards that feasible goal. So those are my goals. My second goal is to develop the leaders that are manifested in the church. Not everybody that comes in is fulfilling their calling. I do believe everybody's called to be a leader. I do. Right. That go you make disciples, that wasn't just for the 12. I don't Tell think. it. Tell it. My, and I will say this, it kind of piggyback off of your question. I, I can't say I was perfect, but when I was under Pastor Terry Black, I did teach Bible studies. I did win people to God. I did disciple people. I'm pulling on all those experiences now. Everything I did then is affecting what I'm doing now. Right. Right. If I hadn't done all that, I don't know what I'd be doing right now. Yeah. I wouldn't have a clue. But my second goal is to take those leaders that are manifesting their willingness to work and to help them be, do what I was doing back when I was an internal leader in a church. Grow in the Lord, disciple people, manifest their leadership. Yeah. And we have one young lady. She has a Bible study going on her own. Praise God. Because if that, that that's how the church will grow is when the people begin to grow it. And God, well, ultimately, God grows it, but we do our best to put it in the condition to be grown. So those are my goals right now. Teach Bible studies, as many as I can get my hands on for the time being. If I get too many, that's a great problem to have. I'll figure it out when I get there. And then, secondly, grow my leaders. So that's my tangible goals that I have. Amen. I understand they're not numbers, but they are realistic. Good. Brother Ray, what would you like to add? Well, I think... uh... Years ago, when I first came to Truman, we were running about 50 people, and uh, we would we went maybe a year sometimes in those early years with no 
nobody getting the Holy Ghost, nobody getting baptized. And we would have visitors all the time, you know, and just, and um, so maybe at the end of the year, uh, we would have four or five pray through or whatever, and I'd be here about these hundred soul revivals. I was an evangelist <laughs> for four and a half years full time, and we traveled, we had great revivals. And somehow you get to thinking that you can take what you do as an evangelist, bring it to a church, and all of a sudden you're, you're like God's gift to that congregation. And all of a sudden people in that city are just going to start coming by the boatloads. <laughs> and then you find, you know, reality. You wake up one morning and reality staring you right in the face and it's like I've been here six months nobody's gotten the Holy Ghost yeah. and so I wasn't used to that because I was used to every week people praying through baptizing somebody 1, 10, 15, whatever and all of a sudden I'm a young pastor and I'm you know 28 years old and I'm trying to figure out what happened to that evangelistic power and anointing that I had and I had to come to grips with the fact that if I start playing the numbers game yeah. I'm going to get in trouble real quick, and I'm going to get discouraged real quick. And it dawned on me one day, Brother Anderson, that I was thinking about, you know, Alexandria. And I'd heard that they had prayed through 250 people in one year or whatever. And, and so it was kind of like God just gave me a math example. Uh, here I was running 50, maybe had five people pray through or, or seven. And um, the Lord let me know real quick, if you want to play that numbers game, this is how you got to play it. And I realized that percentage-wise, I was actually doing better yeah. than POA, percentage-wise. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I just kind of took the pressure off myself early in my pastoral ministry to not, to not just feel like a failure because I wasn't seeing results that somebody else was seeing. Mm -hmm. you, you know, one thing you travel the world, you figure out that it's winter somewhere else when it's summer here. Yeah. And the same as in the church, it's sowing time for you while it's reaping time for somebody else. Yeah. And the harvest doesn't come every October or September yeah. in parts of the world like it does right here. You know, it, Everybody's in a different season. And then the other thing, and I'll, I'll turn it back to you, Brother McCall, is that this. That, so I don't play the numbers game. I don't try to compare myself with everybody else and what everybody's doing. I'm tempted and I fall into that trap once in a while, but as soon as I realize I'm in it, I start climbing my way out. The second thing is, uh, the scripture gives the illustration that Paul uh, may be planted in a polished water, but it's God that gives the increase. And I realize that with all of our outreach efforts, with all of our seed planting, everything we do to reach people and witness to people, we cannot compel the increase. God compels it. That's it's right. in proportion to what we sow, no doubt. But we have no control over how many pray through or how many don't. You can give your best effort and have what you feel like is the worst possible result. And yet in God's eyes, you're the greatest success because you did your job. Right. And at the end of the day, I'm not going to be judged based on what Brother McCall's done or what Brother Flowers, Brother Etheridge has done. I'm going to be judged on what I did or didn't do. Amen. And there's not going to be any, any comparison. That's why we get in trouble when we start comparing ourselves. Right, right. So when you're setting goals, be realistic about it. Um, you know, Truman's a town of 7,500 people. Uh, it's a farming community. It's not real progressive. It's just northeast Arkansas. I got offended when Brother Cox came to me right after I got elected as pastor and said, Welcome to rural Arkansas and uh, asked me if I'd ever listened to a tape. I still haven't listened to the tape because it was just, I don't know, it just put me off so bad as a young pastor. 
I wish I had it. But I understand that growth does not necessarily um, happen the same everywhere. So my goals are realistic. I believe God for a great church in Truman. Should the Lord tarry and allow me to be there another 20 years? I, I believe that there's going to be a church of 250, 350 is not out of the question there. I believe I that. I believe that. It's just I have to be committed to it. Amen. And so I have to be realistic about it. A church of a 1,000 is possible with God. It's possible. Anything's possible. But my goal is just sort of keep me grounded um, so that they're realistic. And, and that's kind of what uh, maybe I'm a million miles off the question. No, but great. that's just sort of my perception about it is that I, if I'm going to play the numbers game, then uh, then I, uh, I, I want to make sure that I'm keeping it in the right perspective. And I'll say this real quick. I used to have old preachers tell me, elder preachers, let's say it that way because I'm getting older. Uh, elder preachers would tell me when I was an evangelist, they'd say, ah, there's only so much you can do in a small town. And I always thought that that was an excuse for them not growing. But the longer I pastored in one place, the more I began to realize that there may be some truth to that. So the question is not, um, do I just give up and say, well, you can only do so much. Really... The point is, if there's only so much you can do in a small town, then you better make sure you're doing all you can. All of it. Amen. And that's really what God's going to judge you. Amen, amen. I'm going to give you a chance for that. I want to tack in here because you guys have touched kind of on a nerve that I've been in for the last little bit. I had to come to grips recently. We've come through some difficult, we've had a difficult year in Lake City. And we've—I don't mind to tell you—I'm just going to bear my soul. We've had some attrition. We've lost some people, and uh, some high-profile people at times, and it's—it's it's had an impact. And and as pastor, I was beating myself up. I, I tell you, the devil was—and and we maybe give too much credit to the enemy, but this thought kept coming: you caused this. This is your fault. You know, you—you're going to be the one that ran this church into the ground. You're going to be the one that. And I was in prayer. I was really, I, my wife will tell you, I was struggling with, with this whole thought process. And I felt like God told me in prayer, look, if you, if you don't take, and, and I don't, I don't take credit for growth. I understand firmly. I, I plant in other waters. God gives the increase. I've never taken credit for that. And he said, you can't take credit for the other either. Because I know what I'm doing. And the Lord's the one that prunes. And the Lord's the one that cuts back. And the Lord's the one that governs. And at the end of the day, it's his church, whether it's a big church or a small church, it's his church. And it's my job to put my hand to the plow and do what he's called me to do and let him take care of the church. Brother Etheridge? Yeah. The... We went through a situation like that a few years ago in Truman. We lost 60 people in one year. Our number was bumping 200, and we were just, man, we were expecting just great things. We, we made a, a, a decision to make a move, and uh, we bought some property and long-term plans and uh, had a way to do it debt-free. And for whatever reason, 60 people just walked out the door that year. And some of them were upset about that. Some of them just never even, I still, it's been five almost eight years ago, still don't know why they left. They're just gone. Never have gotten an explanation from them. So in the course of all that, somebody said to me, well, God's just pruning you. And I looked at them. I said, well, he's not very good at it because he left some <laughs> branches back there that I thought he needed to take. <laughs> and 
uh, you laughing because it's true. You've all, we've all felt that way, especially if you're a pastor. And uh, it's like, why is he taking the people I need and the ones that I'd yeah. give yeah. somebody else to work on? But, you know, so the point being, when you're going through those moments, you really have to learn to not take it so seriously and personal. That's the truth. You, you, you know, I hope God has a sense of humor. He has to because he put me in the ministry. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but, I, you know, just in re reference to that, I thought I'd share that little story with you. Excellent. Brother Etheridge. We had something similar that happened, and I was praying the Lord scared me and said, you know, a fat church is not always a healthy church. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and then my buddy told me, he said, every church needs a good bowel movement every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how spiritual that oh. feels. <laughs> Yeah. get caught up in that and what we don't realize is this that, that uh, something I learned I guess a few years ago was that each church has a personality it's all personality yes. and, and, and our church personality is not going to fit in with everybody else and, and, and I realize we're not going to save everybody mm -hmm. but what I do love is this and, and it's what you said a while ago mm -hmm. you said this you said uh, 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 you're not there to build a church you're there to reach a city and that's what, what we've learned forever and uh, We've got past the mentality, you know, uh, one church, one town. You know, yeah. well, yeah. if you want to go there, you got to get it okay here and get it okay there. And, and we're into church planning now. Yeah. I remember there's 20, what, 26,113 people in Paragould, Arkansas. Wow. And I stood up at a, a meeting and I said, uh, I said, you know, if, if I put 50 churches in Paracord, each one of them run 500 people, I said, we still wouldn't reach everybody. That's the truth. And, man, I thought that, you know, I blasphemed the Holy Ghost. Good you know, <laughs> <laughs> Lord, you know, what are you going to but, but, But our mentality is this, and, and, uh, and it's, it's not about the numbers game. It's about reaching the city. And, uh, and presently we have... Uh, I just share this. We have 19 ministers in our church, of 17 in our license. You know, I think those are international. And I believe God has it's called our church to step out to do these daughter work. You know, the five things the Bible study, the the uh, the daughter work. You know, and uh, and, and then to go forth until they become autonomous. And I realize this that I'm not going to reach everybody in that city. It, it just ain't going to happen. No. And so we're going to plant churches all across that city. That's awesome. And when amen. the Lord comes back, amen, uh, he's going to look down and he's going to pull so many out of mine. And so Thank you, Jesus. And so many, and, and, Thank and you, Jesus. Together, he's not going to say which one of y'all won the most, or which one of y'all had the biggest numbers. It's all going to be family-oriented. Amen. That leads into the, the, the final question, and it's directed to Brother Etheridge. As a leader... It's vitally important that we train others to become leaders. Probably the thing that impressed me the most about Brother Parker when I met him uh, and, and traveled to Okinawa to be with him is he was at that time the uh, minister to the Asian missionary, the Asian military district, and he pastored a church in Okinawa that was largely a, a transitional church, a transient church. Uh, people come in on military rotation, they're there for a year, and they're gone again. But what I learned about Brother Parker is that man's a kingmaker. 
And he, he, he doesn't have to be the king. He just pours himself into other people and lifts them up. All across these great United States, there are men leading districts and in leadership positions in districts and pastoring churches and in ministry because of the influence of one man who poured himself into those men. In the short time that he had to, and the understanding he, he's not building a church for himself. He's building, a, he's building leaders for somebody else. Those guys are going home. They're going somewhere else. And I, I see that same trait, and the reason Brother Etheridge is here is because I see that same trait in Brother Etheridge. And so the, the question is, when it, or maybe it's not the question yet, when it comes to developing leadership in others, what are the challenges that you've encountered? What are the methods that have worked best for you? How do you build an effective team around you? And how do you evaluate leaders in your team? This is a man, 17 licensed ministers. This is a man with 17 licensed ministers in his church. I think is a very good candidate to answer this question. First of all, you think, how's he not going crazy? <laughs> 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 and I'll answer that by saying I was already crazy. Uh, and I do want to apologize to you. Brother Anderson, I didn't recognize that with you there, so forgive me for that because I've had yes, respect sir. for you forever. Absolutely. And I want to say this, Brother Parker, for what you do to train men, I, I'm like your wife. I respect you too, okay? <laughs> And I, I'll, I'll say this, when I joined the Army, uh, and uh, my first duty station, permanent duty station, was uh, 100th Airborne Division at Campbell, and we were in a, a formation, first sergeant stepped out of the orderly room, and he walked up there, and he commanded to stand at ease. And when he did, he said, he said, men, if I don't shine my boots, then you don't have to shine your boots. If I don't... Uh, Starch my uniform, my fatigues, and you don't have to start your fatigues. If I don't cut my hair, then you don't have to cut your hair. He said, but if I step out and you see me and my hair is cut, your hair better be cut. You know, if my fatigues are starched, your fatigues better be starched. And if my boots are shiny, of course, they were Cochrane, Brother Parker, before they come up with Cochrane, too, there. But uh, he said, you didn't. But, of course, when he stepped out there, his hair was white-walled, you know, and his fatigues were starch. You could, you know, cut something on him, and his, and his boots were so shiny, you could shave in them. And, uh, but what, what impressed me the most about that is that, uh, that he said, I'm going to lead by example. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not your position, amen, you know, that, that demands to follow or to learn to train leadership through, you know, but it, it's your example. And I think that's the best thing. I, do. I know when we have a uh, we have a meal at the church, that uh, I'm the last one to eat because yeah. uh, you know an NCO he uh, he makes sure his men you know are are showered, yeah. shaved, and fed you know. And uh, I think that's one of the greatest things we've done. And and I, I've listed a few things here. And uh, one is lead by example. The second thing that I, I learned years ago is instilled in them that there's no competition in the ministry. That each one of these men and women in the ministry uh, bring a uniqueness uh, that's tailored expressly for their ministry. And by doing that, it takes out the competition. You know, everybody's not a foot and everybody's not an arm. But when, when, you, when you can learn exactly where you fit into that position in leadership, then, then you know, we're, we're you know, uh, fairly joined together. And I think as a, as, a, as a pastor, that's my goal. Because our church personality, I realize this. That God is going to bring men and women through our church, Brother Parker, Brother Cole, that uh, that are, are going to go, you know, become uh, leaders in ministry. And yeah. uh, and I, I talked with a friend of mine not long ago, and he said, you know, we're talking about that, Brother uh, Ray. He said we're in a rural community, and I realized that we're 
number of people, he said, but I stopped back and reflected, he said, in the last, I don't know how many years it was, but he had like like 10 to 15 ministers go out of his church, and he realized, well, that's the personality of our church, you know, yeah. and, and, he, and he keyed into that, and, and it's just seemed like God does that for the kingdom, and so what I do uh, at our church is, is, is just take out the competition, try to, try to let everybody, uh, first thing I do, I require faithfulness, that, that what I want to see in the pews, I demand on the platform. Amen. And, uh, and I don't browbeat anybody. What I do is this, and uh, it really works. Uh, I teach them to build a relationship with Jesus, fall in love yeah. with the Lord. Yeah. And it's ironic. And you know, you get people to love God, you don't have to preach on holiness all the time. Yeah. You don't have to preach on tithing all the time. But you get them to embrace God and to draw closer, and then, then when they do step up to that position, who are ready to, to go into to that uh, to that ministry, uh, and, and every one of you remember what I said. I said, preach your passion. Yes, y'all remember that. And uh, yes. and I get up that first message, and what I do is I key on what they're saying, and that leads me to understand you know, where God has taken them, whether it's children ministry, you know, evangelism, missionary work. With, and uh, and uh, you just you just uh, challenge them to step out into to that place, you know. Kind of like this. I'll say this. I've got two pages here. But I'll say this, and we'll go on. Uh, uh, Good. These recruiters, uh, Brother Parker, they had an Army recruiter, a Navy recruiter, uh, Air Force recruiter, and a Marine recruiter. And uh, they were all at school, at the high school, and they were speaking to the students right after NASBAP test. And, and the Army recruiter stood up and he said, everybody had three minutes. And he stood up and he said, uh, he, he showed about all the benefits, you know, and the adventure of being in the Army, you know, and the bonus program. And, and he sat down, the Navy guy stood up, talked about the bonus program, you know, how they get to ride in these ships. And Air Force man got up and said, man, you're going to, you know, fly through the, through the, the blue yonder there. And the Marine recruiter got up and he didn't say anything. He just started walking down each table and he was staring at him. And for almost three minutes, he never said a word. And he stood up there and he said, well, as far as I can see, there's probably about three of y'all that will probably even make the cut to be a Marine. If you three want to be a Marine, you see me at my table out there. You know? and, uh, and, and when they walked out there, there was nobody in the Army, the Navy, or the Air, every, every person in there was in line to be a Marine. Because somebody had challenged them to go beyond their expectation. And I think to be an effective leader, that, that's our goal, is to challenge them to step beyond, you know, get past their inhibitions and their fears and... And, uh, and I looked across here, and I saw about three of y'all. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> God, thank you, brother. <laughs> oh, me. Brother Flowers, would you like to add to that? Sometimes you know what you shouldn't talk about. <laughs> so I, I'm not going to add anything to what Brother Etheridge said there. I, I really enjoyed that. Amen. Brother Ray? <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, you know, it's it's hard to add to uh, what Brother Etheridge said because he's he's had the experience and and he's he's done it. Um, you know, I've seen firsthand um, the effect that his influence and his kindness and compassion have had on a particular young man sitting in this room today. 
Yeah. And um, I appreciate him for taking time with uh, with this young man and, and uh, working with him. And now he's licensed. And I, I believe that's true. Is that right? Yes. And, and uh, I'm thankful for that. I'm just I'm just godly proud. You know, sometimes when God takes somebody out of your church and God didn't necessarily take, I'll just point him out, Brother Larry. God didn't just take Larry out of my church. Larry moved off, went to school, and then relocated back to Paraville area. Yeah. But uh, I, I will say this: sometimes when God takes somebody from you, He puts them exactly where they need where to they be. need to be. Sorry, and, 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 yeah. And so I'm thankful for that, and I appreciate really that. I'm gonna say yes. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, sometimes uh, somebody say something, and you don't really understand the effect, or the impact it has. Mm -hmm. What you just said is what He's been waiting to hear ever since yeah. He left your church. Oh yeah. He said. Brother, I know you love me. I know you respect me. He said, but, you know, Brother Ray knew me when I wouldn't, what I should be, and when yeah. I failed the Lord. I said, if I could ever get a place where he would just say what you just said. And I thank you. Amen, 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 amen. I don't know if you want me to say that or not. Well, it's too late now. <laughs> That's what you call walking in the Holy Ghost, folks. Someday we'll give him a microphone he says he wants to. Amen. I, I'll say this, and... In, in, adding on to what they, they were just saying, I was having a similar discussion with Brother Dennis Anderson last weekend, and he made a comment. He said that, uh, there's, uh, he quoted the scripture, it says, called to be saints of God, and he gave the text, and I don't remember the text, but I remember the scripture very well. And what he, he made this point, we all believe preachers are called. They're called to cities. We're, I'm called to this church. I'm not leaving this church because we're in a down year because God called me here. This is what this is his mission for my life. And until he changes that calling, I don't go anywhere. But by the same token, sometimes God calls a pastor to a different area or a different church and they and, and they, they feel it's never an easy parting. I had a friend that resigned his church just a few weeks ago. It said he said, I just can't it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I can't explain it. But but God just and he founded the church. He he planted the church fifteen and a half years ago and said, God just took the burden away and told me I needed to leave. And he said, I'm going. I don't even know where I'm going yet, but I'm going. If we believe that about preachers, then we have to believe that about saints. Amen. They're called of God. They're called to a church. And sometimes, Brother Larry, God changes the calling. God moves you. And sometimes he does that for your benefit. Sometimes he does that for my benefit. Sometimes he does that for the church that you're going to's benefit. Sometimes it's for the church that you're leaving. But God knows. We have to believe that God calls people. And that tells me then if you're in a church and you know God called you to that church, then you're going to have that same tenacity that I just talked about having as a pastor. No matter what happens, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. I'm behind you until God says to me different. Not until I just decide I'm tired and want to go where there's better music or better programs. But until God says something different, I'm here because this is where God called me to be. Amen. Anything else, guys? I'm going to just kind of go around the circle, closing comments, book recommendations, whatever, websites, whatever you want to give. Um, I'll, I'll recommend a couple of books here. Um, Several years ago, 20 plus years ago, a friend of mine, I was preaching in the church where he was working as an assistant and had my RV parked outside. And, um, and so he came in and handed me a book um, and uh, really kind of set me on my path for my love of books. I'm, I'm not quite the uh, student uh, collector that Brother McCall is, but uh, 
Anyway, the name of the book was An Enemy Called Average by John Mason. It's just set up as a, sort of a nugget type deal. So there's really no flow to it. There's no um, plot or anything. It's just uh, one, two pages of little nuggets right here. Along. One of the things that he pointed out in that book was something that Brother Flowers alluded to, and I wonder if maybe he'd ever read it, but uh, one of the chapters, one of the nuggets, he calls them nuggets, one of the nuggets was say no to many good ideas. And um, and so that book by John, I think it's John L. Mason, um, he has a follow-up book that you probably have seen. It was uh, titled off of one of the original chapters in the book, You Were Born an Original, Why Would You Die a Copy? And uh, that's a pretty good two yes. good books. Uh, another book that uh, someone gave me that every time I get a chance to buy them in bulk, I buy them and I hand them out to people, uh, is called The Proverbial Cracker Jack That's a good by Dale Henry. Uh, one of the best books I've ever read. I'm not, I don't, I don't like reading a lot of, I, I, I must confess, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a statistical kind of a reader. I'm not, somebody's going to read a lot of scholarly stuff, although I dive into it occasionally. Um, but uh, the proverbial Cracker Jack literally made me laugh out loud as I was reading it by Dale Henry. Another book I happened upon at Lifeway on their clearance aisle. Some of the best places to buy books are on the clearance aisle. Yeah. Um, and uh, I bought them. I've probably given out 50 copies of this book that I've, that I've bought over the years uh, called The Hope Quotient yeah. by Ray Johnston the name. And then uh, another book specifically on leadership is Moses on Management uh, by David Barron and Lynette Padwin, uh, I believe is how you say the last name, Padwin. Um, but those are just a couple of books that I have. Uh, my library is growing uh, by leaps and bounds, and, uh, but those are some that I just thought of on the way over here today that I think would benefit you and you get a lot of enjoyment out of. So thank you for letting me be a part of this. Hey, Amen. We're glad you're here. Brother Dre doing a good job. Why don't you give him a round of applause? Brother Etheridge, any closing comments? Yes, sir, just one. Uh, I'd like my church to see that I have electronic device. <laughs> <laughs> so you can teach an old dog new tricks. That's all I said. Amen. Amen. I'm not going to leave that one alone. Brother Flowers. Uh, a book, it's kind of a worn out book, but Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If you haven't read it, it uh, there's just a lot of stuff there. I went back and read it two and a half times. The third time I was hunting for particular things to nail down, but it, it helps. It helped me uh, clear a lot of clutter out of my life and uh, just sharpen my focus. And honestly, uh, when I realized I was going to be starting a church, I went and got Brother Bernard's book on growing a church. I think that's what it, growing a church. And, um, I mean, he did start a church out of two families to what it is in Austin and 16 daughter work. So, honestly, I, I have found more information from that book that's helped my thinking than any other church planning or growth book out there. Yes. Um, anything by Andy Andrews, uh, The Seven Decisions, I don't know if you've seen that book. Um, I had the opportunity to listen to it on uh, Audible not long ago, 
myself, I wish somebody would have given me this book when I was 18 years old. Amen. So, um, anyway, uh, the seven decisions. Amen. Okay, go ahead. You can't buy this book in a bookstore, but Understanding the Kingdom by Fred Childs. Good book. Uh, great book. All right, I, I'm going to rec. I didn't come prepared to recommend books, but man, I can't let book recommendations go without throwing a few out there. Uh, of course, you mentioned the proverbial Cracker Jack. The Fred Factor is another real good book in those same lines. Tremendous book. The book you mentioned earlier, if I had to pick a top five list of books, it would be very difficult for me. I know the number one book, the best book I've ever read in my life. You ready to write this down? The Mission and the Power of the Cross, or the Wisdom and the Power of the Cross by J.T. Peter. Single best book I've ever read in my life. But if I was going to try to put together a top five list, that book, the, the Life God Blesses, would be on that list, I believe. That book came to me at, a, at an important time in my life and ministered to me in a tremendous way. It's Gordon MacDonald, I believe, is the author of The Life God Blesses. You mentioned a book about Moses. There's a, now, if you're an academic reader, this is an academic, more academic-level book, but it's a book called Moses as a Political Leader. It's a tremendous resource. It's only available in print. You can't get it in e ebook, so makes it a little bit diff more difficult for some of us to read, but, but it is a great, great book. I had another one or two, but my mind's going. Brother Anderson, would you come, or not come, but I'm going to come, if I can get myself up. I'm going to come to you and ask you if you'd just make some closing comments and close us out in prayer. This is our founding pastor. He planted this church 41 years ago. Amen. We came in. We came in 32 years later. We're the new kid on the block. We've been here nine years, and we love and, and, and appreciate Brother Anderson and all that he has done. All of us start on different lives in our call for God. I was born, went to church, a little community church. Wasn't all it should have been, but there's a lot of preachers came out of that little church. And I kind of followed the independent route for many years up until 06, I guess it was. And I realized in later lives after I've got to know some of y'all better and more. And I, I missed so much of this training that folks are getting today. And I appreciate, and I know that my work, unless the Lord gives me strength, he can give me strength. But I appreciate Brother McCall, Sister McCall, and uh, y'all have, through training, and a lot, of, a lot of things you just don't know. If you've just always been kind of winging it alone, 
I mean, I know there's people that have fellowship. I know there's people that don't belong to any organization. But I appreciate the efforts that you brothers put and have put forth to help somebody that feels a call into the ministry. I, what I wish I could hear and I've heard what, what y'all have said today, brother and sister missionary, Brother Parker and his wife, the training is so important. I knew, I just knew I wanted to do something for God. I knew I wanted to do something for God. And God opened the door for me in 1964. Began to try to preach teach and help in song service or whatever. And that started my life down that trail. I learned a lot of good things from independent men. I did. They helped me. But I just appreciate what y'all are doing. And you, I believe you see, uh, just helping you understand uh, things. And right now, I'm just trying to stay out of Brother McCall's way. And I'm not trying to coach anybody on the side. I'm not trying to undercut him in any way. I'm just glad he let me stay here. I'm, I'm Right now, I'll just be honest with him. It's been one of the most trying times of my life. I'm in the, I'm in the most trying time of my life. And uh, moving, and uh, just uh, my family's here, and uh, some of my family not doing what I wish they would do, but they know the truth, and they've been taught it. Maybe God will send revival, stir them, and uh, I've never appreciate what you had to say about the. Numbers game. I've felt pressure. I've never been a big time preacher. Probably never will be. But I love God. I love y'all. I thank you, Brother McCall, for letting me be here with all my shortcomings. Line me up, preach me, preach at me, do whatever you need to skin me. But I appreciate what y'all are doing. I love you, Jesus. I love you for this group of people that's here today. Not that we don't have anything else to do. But God, we're here because we're hungry. We want to know how to be leaders. How to lead somebody to you. God, Andrew never was the preacher that Peter was. But Andrew went and found Peter. Brought him to Jesus. Help us. Be with us. Guide us. Help us to be the servant that you'd have us to be, whether it be a missionary, pastor, evangelist, or whatever you've called us to be. Bless these that labor in Sunday school departments. Ever to come.